Ohio people with Mennonite views, and they're gonna give us some missional news. Ohio Conference Cast. You are listening to Ohio Conference Cast, a podcast dedicated to sharing missional stories and other information about Ohio Mennonite Conference. Here are your hosts, Corbin Weaver Bushard and Ramon Lyonez. Hello and welcome back to the Ohio Conference cast with Corbs and Moan. We have a special episode ready to send off to you all. We sat down with Brad Roth, who was the missional speaker this year at the pre-missional conference for the Ohio Conference Annual Conference Assembly. Brad is a pastor of the West Zion Mennonite Church in Moundridge, Kansas. He is the author of God's Country, Faith, Hope, and the Future of the Rural Church. And we were really excited to have this conversation. Mona and I were talking beforehand about the plethora of of different ideas and inspirational ideas that we took away from this past weekend at Ohio Conference, listening to Brad discussing things with Brad. And so we were just excited to, to dig a little deeper and, and share with you some of the conversation that, that we were able to have with him. So as we got going, we realized that this really split into two overarching uh, parts. And so what, what you're going to hear in this episode is part one of our conversation, where we were talking more about evangelism, what does it mean to live out and share our faith of the good news of Jesus? And then In our next episode, you'll hear the second part of our conversation in which we talk more about prayer, the spiritual side of living out our faith, and some of what Brad has to share with that. So without further ado, here is the first part of our conversation with Brad Roth. Thank you, Corbin. Thank you, Ramon. It's so good to be here. It was great to join you at the conference. Okay, so to kick us off here, Brad, we would be curious just to hear a little bit about your upbringing um, if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about your faith background growing up, how that developed leading into your ministry, we would really appreciate hearing that. So I grew up on a farm in Illinois. I grew up in a Christian family, and my family has Mennonite roots going way back. But I actually was raised in the Evangelical Mennonite Church, which went on to become the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. So it was a big church with lots of lots of pastors, tons of youth events, and so that was really formative for me. Um, I did youth mission trips when I was a kid in high school and that sort of thing. Went off to college and kind of got into historical, critical, biblical reading. That was a, I was studying, they called it religion in the college that I went to. And I was studying the scriptures, you know, studying philosophy, studying other religions. And didn't really ever have a crisis of faith, but I think came to think about my faith from a very intellectual framework and from a totally different point of view. And I just kind of followed that. I continued studying, went off to Boston, figured I'd do more of the same. But somewhere along the way, kind of had this realization that what is the point of all this study? Does it lead to anything beyond just like knowing things? Or is it going to actually lead to knowing God? And so that was, I think, where it was this movement that began where my mind just just took a first step of, of descending towards my heart. And that's been a movement that I've been on for a long time. I really, at that, felt that I needed to be grounded in the church um, and that whatever scholarly work I was imagined myself doing had to have its fruit be born in the church. 
My wife and I, we got married. We attended a, this little Presbyterian church, but then we kind of felt this call to connect to a Mennonite church. And that was around September 11th. Like that just sort of cemented it for us. Like we were looking for a church that was, and the Presbyterian church was, well, they were great people, but we were looking for a place that was saying something more explicit about what does it mean to be Christians in this world of violence and that, that had a framework to deal with that. And so we started connecting to the Mennonite church. They were very egalitarian, the Mennonite congregation of Boston. And they just said like, oh, well, you're, you're a theology student. Why do you just preach on Sunday? I was like, me? Right. And so, you know, I started getting into that and they're like, why don't you serve on our executive commission? So I did that, you know, and they just kind of threw me in there. And I started to think like, there might be something to this and kind of began to imagine myself following a different path. We left Boston, went to AMBS in Elkhart, and I did the MDiv there and, and really was still kind of exploring this idea of a call. Uh, and then after that, was called out to a congregation in eastern Washington state. So that's where I began my ministry. Where my background really began to connect more with my ministry is just that heart for con reaching people. I mean, that's part of the, the hallmarks of the evangelical movement is, to, is evangelism, right? And that love for the Bible. And those have been really key for me. And so I really began to kind of try to figure out how I minister in Washington state. There were a lot of bumps along the way. Those two pieces really, I think, came to be front and center for me and have continued to develop throughout my ministry, just connecting with people, loving the scriptures. And I guess the other piece that sort of came along the way is, you know, I, I had a chance when I was studying in Boston to really go deep into the early church fathers and to really get more of a sense of the breadth of Christian history. And that's something that has only grown for me, my respect for the ancient church and the way that both East and West, what we call the Catholic Church and then also the Orthodox Churches, bring so many treasures into the present that we can learn from. And so that's kind of been another piece that's come together for me. And so in that way, I'm kind of weird. I've got this evangelical side to me, very kind of like a practical Mennonite kind of faith, but then also have a lot of respect for that sacramental worldview that some of the ancient churches would bring. That's a little bit of my background and a little bit of how I think some of that plays out. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Brad. I just want to, before we go and get into the questions, I want to encourage all of you that are listening, for those of you that have also been part of the uh, ACA conference, to invite other people, if you haven't already, or if you didn't participate in the ACA, invite other people to listen, and uh, you yourselves participate in this. Listen to uh, the recorded uh, session that Brad had given to each one of us in his talk. There is gobs of valuable information as far as faith and practical application of our faith. Uh, there's so many things that you can glean from it. We have no time to touch base on all the stuff that he had shared with us, but it's all important. So I just want to encourage you guys to uh, go to the Ohio Conference homepage and listen to what Brad shared with all of us. Brad, uh, Corbin and I had put together a few questions for you, and uh, it took us some time to really figure out what we wanted to say. So we, we had a list of questions, but we brought it down to five. My question is, it appears the method you stated in your presentation was more akin to relationship evangelism. Could you better define the way you share the gospel with a person? Yeah, I think this is really key, and this is something that we've got to recapture in the church at large, but especially within Mennonite churches, because somehow we have lost this capacity to, to share the gospel with people, or, or not so many people are, are willing or are able to do it. Part of it's fear um, of being rejected, and that's going to happen sometimes. For me, there are just two 
key pieces. One is connect to people. So that is the relational piece. And it's just really that simple. Like you don't have to hit people with the gospel on the first time that you meet them. In fact, I have a rule for myself that I never do that. I mean, if it comes up, it comes up, but I don't seek to talk to people about the gospel when I first meet them. You just talk to them. And here's the thing, especially in our uh, small towns and rural communities, there are new people Especially if we are deeply rooted in a small town or rural community, it's it's easy to not notice those new people. And so I think we have to get in the habit of seeing. I mean, the moving truck is the obvious one, but seeing somebody new at the like in the bleachers at the basketball game or on the sidelines of the soccer game or whatever, and then take the step of just talking to them. That's it. Just introduce yourself. Just meet them. You don't know where that's going to go. You don't have to have that all figured out when you begin that conversation. All you're doing is talking to them. And then, you know, Jesus is in the mix of this, right? So he, he wants people to come to him. And um, you, you don't know what your piece is in that chain. Maybe that you're going to bump into him again and you talk to him again, right? So you just build that relationship. You're really just getting people to connect with you. Sometimes out of those conversations, there are going to be moments that, that just open up. There's going to be doors and they will often come when you're not expected. And you can't say, well, I'm not ready to talk right now because you just got to be ready when it happens. And you just go through the door, right? And I've been there. I've I have uh, sometimes bowed out at the precise moment where I needed to, to talk. When we're really listening to the Holy Spirit, I think when that door opens up, we just really gently talk. And I think the second piece of this is questions. You just ask questions to people. So, you you know, you really want to let them take the lead. You don't want to come across as like you know everything or that you're trying to like cram the gospel down their throat or something like that. You just, you just ask questions. So say something like, well, you know, is church a part of your life or... Um, well, what do you do when you're in a situation like that? And I remember a couple of years ago, I had this gentleman that um, I knew in town, an older gentleman, and um, I heard that he got into this this really bad car wreck and he survived. I mean, it was sort of miraculous, right? And I, I heard about this car wreck, so I got his phone number from somebody in our church and I just called him up and I'm like, you know, hey, when when you have an experience like that, what do you think about, right? When you have an experience like that, What's next for you? Because you might not have survived it. So we just had that conversation. That was that was it, right? Um, and I bump into him around town every once in a while. But it's just like when those moments happen, I, I had a relationship with him, and we're not best buddies or something. We don't I don't see him every day, but I, he knows me. I know him. We say hi to each other when we're walking in the post office. That little door was a chance for me to ask some questions and to to begin that conversation with, with him. So for me, it's just like get to know people as much as you can. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the casts. Like that's a cast, right? Just just see what happens. Just like talk to somebody and then ask questions. And every once in a while, there's also going to be moments where people, they're ready to talk. They'll ask about the church, especially if you're the pastor, right? They'll just ask some questions about like, what do you do? Like, um, what's the church about? You know, what what is this thing that's, that, we're, that we talk about, like Christianity or whatever? And you just go into it. I'm willing to be present to people. Overall, I think there's two key pieces. I mean, prayer is so vitally important. And prayer, I think, is paired with presence, right? And so it's our presence to people paired with that prayer, which is activating the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence in that conversation. It's God's presence to us and to them. Prayer and presence come together. And when those two lines cross, like who knows what beautiful things can happen. So you've got to be ready for that. Amen. Well put. So I grew up in, in a rural church. This is my background. And over the last couple of years in Ohio Conference, we've had these moments where we're bringing in missional speakers from urban settings. And, and this conference was sort of a way of, of counterbalancing that. And one of the things that I experience when I hear you talk and I, and also as I experience 
us as Ohio Conference and, and you know, wherever you're from, if, you, if you're in a rural setting and you're gathered around this topic and you're starting to share examples of what it can look like to share the gospel, to live out your faith, as one of the people on the planning committee for the conference, we talked before with you about this idea of, like, come and see, like, these rural churches have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of the stories we hear might come from urban settings— when we start gathering around the table and sharing our experiences of how we've received and shared the gospel in our rural settings, it's just a reminder that of how God is present here, how much rural churches have to offer. And one thing I love when I listen to you talk, too, is, is just the curiosity that's coming out. Like you talk about prayer, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little later, as, as sort of the, the heartbeat or the renewal out of which we live out our faith, and it seems to me that part of what is happening there is that when we're engaging in our relationship with Jesus prayerfully, we're experiencing and receiving the love of Jesus, it, it also makes us maybe more likely to just be genuinely curious mm-hmm. about the people mm-hmm. around us. And, and that's one thing that, that I'm sort of hearing coming through your own experience. Corbin, that's a really important insight. Part of what happens, and this is, you know, we had talked about like the in the conference about contemplative prayer versus like intercessory prayer. Both are important, but one thing that contemplative prayer is precise does is precisely what you're saying is like it makes us aware of God, but I think it also makes us aware of like the way God kind of is showing up in other people and the goodness in other people, and then that that just naturally leads to curiosity for them. It leads to a genuine love for them, even though you don't know them for very much. You you see something there, and you just want to to hear more about their story. One of the things I wanted to say was in our. Um our conversation with you or when you were doing your presentation, you had mentioned uh, about people just being who they are, that we, we don't need to be a Billy Graham or a Luis Palau or, or somebody that we're not. And also going along with Corbin, much of the information that we're given about evangelism is given by churches or written by people that are in an urban setting. And it was nice to know being in a rural setting, we have something special. We have to identify with the people, our our location, our environment, uh, get to know the community, as you had said, because, you know, you're part of the community, and talk to them like you would talk to them every day. Before I move on, uh, when you're sharing the gospel with a person, I've had some background in other denominations where uh, certain methods were like the Romans Road, uh, certain using—you got to use this scripture, and it's got to be pronounced, and— things like that. I found that sometimes uh, I've looked into the past when early church didn't have, they didn't have a full Bible. They may have had a letter, yet the church just blew up. And so I came to realize, hey, you know, it was relationships. It was testimonies. When you relate and talk to a person and, and you start sharing the gospel with them, do you find yourself inundating them with a lot of scripture or a lot of, you know, I think I'm almost knowing what I'm, what you might say, but I want to cast that out there because some people are under this impression that this is the method I'm supposed to use. But you said something about method and yeah. no method. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said in the conference, having a method is probably better than having no method, right? And so I there guess you go. 
in our minds, we want to have a way that we're going to do this. But I really think that the come and see invitation that Jesus gave is that's operative. And we want to be winsome. We want to be invitational. The big privilege that we have in our rural communities and small towns is that we're going to bump into people again, more likely than not. You know, it's like this, oh, it's yeah. the same fishbowl. And so we have a chance to see people and we don't have to like kind of get them across the line in one conversation. And for me, it's really like that. It's just kind of like asking questions. Um, I guess that's my method, asking questions, always point them towards Jesus and, and just try to be as authentic as possible. And look, I am not an evangelist, right? Like Paul talks in Ephesians, <gasps> he talks about like those, those five gifts, right? Like the apostles <laughs> and the evangelists and the prophets and the teachers and the pastors. Like I would not score that high on evangelism, but Paul also tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, right? And so that's Amen. what I'm doing. And so I just, Amen. I'm just doing the work. I don't really have the gifting. I'm just doing the work. And I mean, I, and as far as all of us as the people of God have the gifting, but I don't have a special gifting in that area. And I'm also an introvert, right? Like, so there, I can only push myself so far on this, but I just keep getting out there and I just keep seeing what's going to happen. And I just try to talk to people and, and, you know, I talk to people in the park and talk to people in the post office and just whatever happens, you know, talk to people at the games and stuff like that. You just don't know where that's going to go. You don't know who's going to turn up in your church. As far as method, like it's just don't try to get them across the line. I would just say that as a general rule, don't try to get them across the line in one conversation. Just take it easy. Um, you'll come off as a tryhard. And a tryhard, it's just deeply uncool. If you're not sure what that means, talk to a teenager. But I mean, I think it's basically just like you're you're just like sweating so hard trying to, to make something happen in, in that conversation. But, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a, a gentleman that I kind of talked to a little bit. And then we sort of bump into each other at the post office, right? And then the moment came for him and his family when we did early morning men's Bible study. This is one of those things where I was like, this is going to cost me a little bit of sleep, but I did it. And he came to that. He responded to my invitation to come to that. We held it downtown at insurance building. Some folks were really generous and opened up a nice big room for us. We held it downtown, kind of a neutral space. He came to that, uh, got a lot out of it. And then he started coming to church, right? And brought his family. So like for me, if I would have tried to like hit him with the gospel in the post office, that would have really been a turnoff, right? It would have been a try hard kind of a move. I let that develop naturally. And um, there was a moment then where, where he could kind of say like, all right, I trust this individual. I know a few people now at that church because of this Bible study and I'm willing to give it a try, right? I'm going to, I'm going to go check it out. So for me, that's, that's the method. Ask questions, be winsome, be present to people, you know, and just don't try to get them across the line in one conversation. Okay, Brad. Hey, thanks a lot uh, for that. Your answer has uh, actually, I, I just felt the spirit moving because a lot of what Corbin and I had shared before you came on, would he consider himself an evangelist? People are called to do it even though they may not have the gift. Some people may say, well, you know, that's for extroverts. That's for a person with the gift of evangelism. And you just nip that in the bud. You know what I mean? I was like, man, I was like a Cheshire cat and a bobblehead all together. I was just smiling and stuff. So uh, thank you so much, brother, for sharing that with us. It's so easy for us to develop these constructs of what an evangelist or what evangelism looks like, whether it's sort of these Romans Road methods, mm -hmm. trying to get people across the line almost as if like it's a competition or, or it's done out of the sense of obligation to play the game. What I find helpful is when we start to just talk, like what does organic relational evangelism, as you call it, Brad, look like? Yeah. What does it mean to just be genuinely interested in the people around us, interested in relationship with them and the way that Jesus is interested in us? Mm -hmm. I think in our rural churches, that's, that's where I get really excited by how this conversation is taking shape 
it just starts to fill my imagination with alternatives to maybe what we assume evangelism looks like. And then we say, well, that's not it. But a method is better than no method, or how can we think in other ways? And so, yeah, thanks a lot for sharing some of what you've been saying here. The next question is, most Christians focus on catching, the catching of unbelievers, winning souls for God, instead of your statement that we are actually called to cast fishing lines and nets, and God brings the harvest. Do you have more to elaborate on this statement? We don't have it within our power to assure the outcome. And I mean, I think you see this dynamic in the Gospels, right, that Jesus says in John fifteen five, without me, you can do nothing. And that is the, the proof is in the pudding, right? They catch nothing when they're, they're throwing their nets out. Several points at the beginning, at the end of the Gospels. Um, and it's really because Jesus tells them to where to put their nets out into the deep waters that they, they get that catch of fish. And it's especially important at the end of the Gospel of John, right, with that, what is it, 153 fish, right, that has some kind of symbolic meaning about, like, all the different peoples of the world or something. And all we're trying to do is follow Jesus leading to cast out the nets again. And we don't know what's going to happen when those nets go into the deep water. And I got that statement from a guy named Kent Anderson, who works with Rural Compassion, that, that count the casts, not the fish. And I just loved it so much. I keep using it because I think it just gets at what we're really called to do. Like we, success is above our pay grade as uh, leaders in the church. That's um, Tim Suttle. Um, success is above our, t- our pay grade. And so what we have to do is commit to doing the work. And doing the work is casting. It's talking to people. It's putting ourselves out there a little bit. It's doing the work to create those spaces, right? Like the, in our church, like what, what events do we have? Are we setting up things where our church is involved in the community? Do whatever works for you. I mean, look, if tracks work for you, do tracks. I'm surprised how well tracks seem to work for some people. I mean, they're not my thing, but do a tract if that works for you. Put a table out at a community event and give out water and have tracks whatever. I mean, just get out there and talk to people in some way. This is more than my own experience. It's what I keep discovering when I talk to pastors around the country in different faith traditions who are where it's working for them, right? What's, what's, what are you doing? And none of it's ever heroic. It's just like, well, we just put ourselves out. We added coffee and we added donuts at the annual Easter egg thing. Like they're not doing the Easter egg thing. They didn't buy all the Easter eggs. They just put out coffee and donuts at a table with some tracks, right? And then you just, whatever it is, they let people, you know, connect with them in some way. They're just getting out in the community. So create opportunities for those casts, but then you got to cast. And so I think it's really about our orientation as individuals and our orientation as, as rural congregations that has to be into the community. We let the results be God's business. Part of that too is just, here's where the context really matters. Like, look, sometimes our rural communities are going to look different than suburban and urban areas in that Some of them, but not all, many rural communities are doing quite good population-wise, but some of them are going to be on the decline. You cast anyway, right? Like it's, you may not be able to lead to a growing congregation and a declining community, but you cast anyway. Um, Some of them are going to be plateaued or just holding steady. Um, You cast anyway. And there are actually quite a few rural communities that are growing. That's one of the kind of the myths of the moment that rural is just totally falling apart. I mean, that's, that's not the case. It is true that urban and suburban are growing more quickly as a percentage of the U.S. population in many areas. Overall, rural communities are still growing by organic growth um, from inside, but also there are people moving in. So all that is to say, like, we have to let the results be in God's hands because there's going to be lots of deep factors that are not under our control, but we can do our part of the work and be faithful in casting. 
what I hear you doing, Brad, is, is redefining what we think of as success when it comes to evangelism. That little maxim about it's not about what you catch, but how many times you cast the net. That says to me, and, and this idea that we, we relinquish the results and, and, and sort of the power of, of this good news relationship to Jesus and, and re- just realize that that's, that's the Holy Spirit's domain to work mm-hmm. in the lives of these people that we're relating to. Mm-hmm. But we can continue to cast our nets and, and continue to trust that, that the longer we do that, the more we, we practice that as just a part of our life as faithful disciples, that God will reap the rewards on his own behalf. So I really appreciate that as well. Yeah, I think that's right on. And there is a very special um, temptation that pastors can fall into here. And it's that we feel like we're getting paid for results. And so we want to have something to show for our work. And so, you know, you want to pull up with the boat full of fish and be like, look what I did all day, right? But it doesn't work that way. It, it can be sometimes on our sense of pride, but I think it also is uh, just that sense of like, you're paying me your hard-earned money and like, am I able to like grow your church? And sometimes people in the congregation will have that expectation of us, but I often think it's an expectation we put on ourselves. Yeah, well said. What am I doing if if I'm not growing this church or if I'm not winning people over as as the great model or something for, for everyone else here? To follow up on that thread of conversation that we had at the conference where we talked about more and we talked about less, and this obviously fits in the whole issue of evangelism and prayer. I mean, you can kind of see them lining up on two different poles. When we think about more, you know, I don't know if I need to clarify that or not, but I hope people are hearing that the the question of the magus, as I'm drawing on it from the Ignatian spirituality tradition, doing more, it doesn't really mean filling up your schedule with more stuff. I think most of us are kind of run ragged. And to hear someone say you need to do more can sound like it's, it's such a withering kind of a statement because you think like, I'm already doing so much already. I'm already exhausted. But what I've discovered is that if we do more in the way that Ignatius was thinking about it, and this is really part of the genius of, of his teaching is asking the question, what more can I do for the love of God? Not to earn the love of God, but what more can I do in response to God's love in my heart, to his prompting? I think we start to see our lives be reconfigured, um, especially if we're pairing that with that release of doing less, right? Of the glass and height and yielding to God. I think we'll see our lives be reconfigured in, in different ways. And so I struggle. I have lots of meetings in my schedule. And one way that's by design stuff happens in meetings and you got to just kind of grin and bear it because that's where you get people to the table and you want to have as many folks involved as possible. But on the other hand, um, you know, I, I want to be out there. I want to be relating. I want to spend time in the community. I want to be writing. I want to have time for prayer. And so, you know, I think for me, it's like, what more can I do for the love of God? Where do I put myself out there? Um, am I in, in spending the time in prayer, that alone time, so that I can be prompted by God's Holy Spirit to really get out there and connect with people and to, to know what to do more of? And one thing I had just a really a, a burden on my heart in the last six months is that we do a kind of a cooperative youth group. There's three Mennonite churches here in our little community, and we have a cooperative youth group that we do. And it's been really great it's for the high schoolers. And I think uh, I was doing catechism with four boys um, in our church, none of whom grew up in our church. One of them is my son, but none of them grew up in our church. And I thought, they're asking such great questions. This is awesome. Like, there's this like popcorn questions. Three of them are junior hires. And I was like, we need a junior high youth group. We need to keep this ball rolling. And so I was thinking to myself, this is more. Um, this is like stepping out into something that's going to, it's going to cost me. It's going to be a little bit exhausting in some ways. And, and I, you know, I kind of had to sit with that. And I, of course, consulted with my wife and kind of thought about that, prayed about that. But I'm like, this is a more 
that I really feel I need to do. And so we're going to be launching actually this Sunday night, um, our first junior high youth group. And I'm one of the people giving this thing leadership. And so, you know, it's just like looking for that. Like our hope is to really connect to some kids that don't have a church home. Some of them, I've been there. The, the bridge here is that I was their soccer coach, right? Up until this last year. Um, and so like, those are, those are some kids I already have that relationship with. And that's going to really, we hope be the core of this, this group. However, that all plays out, um, that, that is a more that I've chosen to step into. And my guess is that if you kind of pay attention to your community and context and spend the time in prayer, you will feel God calling you to more and something. And I think just being content to do what Paul says, like uh, to the Philippians and to other places, he talks about pouring himself out as a libation offering, right? Like our, what do we, we're not going to take our lives with us, right? We, we let's pour them out for something good. Let's pour them out for God. Amen. That's one way I'm doing that right now, but I hope people hear that is not a, the more is not a call to just be uh, run ragged. I, I think it's to really look for where God's calling us. Amen. So Brad, I, I, yeah, I do have a question. It seems that there are quite a few Mennonite uh, or rural churches that consist of a, a lot of people in their latter years. I found that some have taken on this mindset of, I'm retired, my active years are behind me, and you're, we're talking about doing more, not for to earn God's love, but because of God's love for us, and, and we're called to love other people. Do you have any words of encouragement for these people, you had said at one time in the in the conference, we don't want to guilt trip anybody. We are called to incur, encourage people. You're a very creative mind. You have, you know, you, it's like you you can pop them out. But what would you say to the congregation like that? If if somebody, because Perry, uh, people that could be listening to this right now could be in that very same position in their lives. So, what do you have for them? No, that is a challenge. That's a challenge our congregation faces. And uh, we have a lot of older folks, great people, but yeah, they, they, you know, the energy level is different and um, the sorts of things that they're concerned about in their lives are different potentially. And I guess I would, I would say a couple things. Your word encouragement is exactly the right word. And that's what we always want to operate from is encouraging people, not guilt tripping people. People do not respond to guilt. People want to get away from a situation that makes them feel guilty. When people feel excited when people feel encouraged, then there there's some you know fresh air, um, and there's the chance to to do something different. And so I always try to encourage people, and I think part of what is just naturally encouraging is when people see something good happening that they're that gets them excited too. That could be a new person show up who's just ex- who's excited about being part of your church, and you're just like, wow, you want to be a part of us? Yeah, I do. You know, and that's that's exciting. That gets you thinking about the possibilities. Just anything. They hear a great sermon when they see a beautiful funeral. When there's things that are that are well done, that that those are encouragements, right, to them. And then just in personal encouragement, of course. The other piece is, I think, a great word is nudge. We move our congregations forward by nudges. It's it's always going to be this this evolution, not a revolution. If you want to be a rev- Revolutionary, you plant a church, honestly, um, and I think that revitalizing churches is going to happen by by nudges, especially in our small towns where there's so much connectivity and such a history in our churches that um, you can't change everything at once. And you got to build credibility in any case, right? They've seen that before. The new pastor who shows up from seminary, he's got all the the hot new ideas. We'll see if you pan out, but you know, you got to just move people forward by by nudges, build that credibility, and keep encouraging them the whole time. You know, I always go back to like Second Peter one three, where Peter says God's given us everything that we need, and I think that is true in our churches that we have what we need. We have what we need to be 
the church and live the mission where we are. And so we keep going back to that truth and relying on on God to, to be true to what he's told us. Thanks again to Brad for sharing with us about evangelism. We found a lot of encouragement and, and just more inspiration and good food for thought in this conversation with Brad. Come back soon, uh, hopefully in the next week or so, for part two of our conversation with Brad. We're going to talk more about what it means to do uh, more with less and how prayer is at the heart of renewal in the church. So we look forward to having you all back with us for our next episode with Brad Roth. Ohio people with Mennonite views And they're gonna give us some missional news Ohio Conference Cast Thank you for listening to another edition of Ohio Conference Cast. We would love to hear from you. Our email is ohioconferencecast at gmail.com. Ohio Conference Cast is brought to you by the Ohio Conference Leadership Team, along with Norm Sohar, Sound Engineer, Megan Sohar, VoiceOver, Ann Lehman, Publisher, and our many guests and listeners.